Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Tonight podcast. I'm Ben Kay and with me tonight, ahead of an exciting weekend of European rugby, is three times Champions Cup winner Brian O'Driscoll. We'll also have a very exciting special guest joining us later, former Munster man Peter Stringer, who, like me, has got two Champions Cup trophies under his belt. This weekend, European action is back with the semi-finals as four must become two in both the Champions and Challenge Cup. Tonight we'll be discussing the force of the Irish and all of the upcoming games as well as the big news from the week. In Champions Cup honour, we'll be hearing exclusively from Munster's Connor Murray, one of the world's best nines, my opinion, the best nine in the world at the moment. He's going to be discussing the hopeful journey to this year's final after last year's defeat and how he's learned from fellow Irishman Ronan O'Gara. You learn an awful lot more from your defeats than you do your wins. So um, hopefully this weekend we can kind of put those uh, little lessons into practice and, and, and go one more. As well as that, we'll also hear Connor's opposition this week, New Zealand legend and Racing 92's Dan Carter. You know, hopefully you know, we can turn up and, and put one back on them this weekend, but it's, it's going to take a huge effort. So, Brian, the biggest competition in Northern Hemisphere rugby from a club or province uh, perspective is heading into semi-final stages this weekend. And being an Irishman, you must be absolutely delighted to see two Irish provinces in there. Are there going to be two Irish provinces playing in the final in Bilbao? Potentially, potentially. Um, we had two Irish provinces in the semi-finals this time last year and no Irish team in the finals. So, I think what you do get in this which was the four year, fourth year now of the, the, the refined Champions Cup where it's been reduced from 24 to 20 teams. I think the quality and the, and the depth of teams getting to the knockout stages is, is vastly improved. I think in the past, you've seen sides that maybe you wouldn't have considered to be semi-final type um, quality teams finding their way, eking their way into, into semi-finals. I think that's not the case anymore uh, with with the newer version of the competition. I think you look at the quality of what the Scarlets have delivered, you know, losing their first two games of, of the tournament, I think almost year on year, and certainly over the last seven or eight, Leinster, Munster, one or other team have been competitive and in getting into you know, knockout stages, quarterfinals, semifinals. And then you've got Rasting who found themselves in, in a final a couple of years ago in Dan Carter's first year only to fall at that final hurdle. So I think we've got some mouth-watering ties this weekend with our own game being the Rasting uh, 92 uh, Munster game down in Bordeaux. But I think you, you, you could easily have a non-Irish final. But, you know, the hope is at home, you know, the year that we've had that 
maybe could we piggyback on the Grand Slam and and have that dream final of of Munster Leinster? There's such a huge rivalry at home between the two provinces. There's, as you said, massive rivalry, but. There's also a, a lot of success around Irish rugby at the moment. I don't want to hark back to the Grand Slam. I'm sure you do. Uh, but after that Grand Slam, we, we, we talked, I think, on the podcast about the fact that those Irish provinces doing well in Europe and then going into a, uh, a Six Nations, it helps Ireland if, if your provinces are doing well. And we mentioned that Saracens had, had a, a, for them, a, a bit of a ropey pre-Six Nations time. They lost six on the bounce in the lead-up to, to the Six Nations. They had a lot of England players in there. Maybe that was part of the reason why England weren't firing because the spine of your team were, were on a bit of a confidence dip. Off the back of the Grand Slam now, is that really helping both those provinces are first and second in their respective pools in, in the Pro 14. Undoubtedly, undoubtedly. I think if you look at that Saracens team over the last two years, you know, you had a Grand Slam winning team two years ago. Um, you know, Saracens went and won the Champions Cup for the first time. Then um, the England won the uh, the championship, albeit losing the Grand Slam on the final day against Ireland. But then Saracens, with the spine of that England team, still went on um, to achieve European success as well. So I, I think undoubtedly having a core group of players playing well uh, in that period of Six Nations to, to, to bring that energy and that excitement back into the knockout stages has a, a huge positive impact. And... You're seeing it. You saw it in the in the Leinster performance. Even though those players wouldn't have played together since back in January, um, they didn't play. You know, in the week immediately after Six Nations, they were decided to be rested rather than try and get the um, the cohesion together. It was it was kind of a tough, a couple of tough training weeks um, under Stuart Lancaster and, and Leo Cullen, but they delivered on, on on match day against Saracens, and they had to. And then Munster probably rode their luck a little bit, but they they never know when they're beaten. And I think you know the likes of Peter O'Mahony and Stander. And you know, I know uh, CJ Standard's the first trophy he's ever won of any great, you know, magnitude or substance. So to win a Grand Slam, what's that going to do for your confidence levels? Absolutely sky high. And if you can inject that back into your provincial setup, I think everyone can feed off it. Who's got the? I was going to say who's got the the tougher tie out of the two of them. That's probably wrong. But in terms of their own playing styles, does that? match up well to the the opposition they've got or it yeah i it, think it does yeah. i think it does i think they're um you know tactically it'll be it'll be quite similar you know leinster and um and scarlets i think both teams like to play i think leinster play a version of what ireland do but i think they're less prescriptive i think they're they play a little bit more heads up yes there's certain um certain plays and you know in that playbook that they go to try and set up but i think they're they're um they they look as though, certainly from the outside, they look as though they play with a bit more freedom to be able to counter what the launch play might have been or what the, the setup play might have been to then be able to react, react to scenarios that unfold. Um, but Racing have got a huge old pack, so you'd think there'd be a discussion at least over the last couple of weeks um, in Munster's headquarters about do we need to run that forward pack around a little bit more than we would maybe if we were playing another team and, and is that a bit of a gamble if you do that to go away from your strengths yeah i think it is i, I think if you if you look into the to the monster teams that have had success they've their their core is a bit like the Leicester teams that have had success their core is that they've a, a big you know gnarly pack that that really like going maybe gnarly not being the the, the perfect word to choose but a, a big aggressive um set piece orientated pack that that gives us their backs the front football that they're able to to thrive on and um Munster 
you know, if, if you look, if you compare the successful, the cha the, the Heineken Cup winning uh, Munster teams v versus this team, are they at that level? I don't think so. But in certain positions, I think you look at the back row with the likes of Stander and Peter Omani at, at half back with Connor Murray, with you know key players like Keith Earls who's come back, Maraxi come back from injury after uh, going off in, in the final ten minutes of the Ireland England Grand Slam game. Uh, he wasn't expected back. So so seeing a player like that back in the setup, back involved and uh, up for selection is a is a huge plus for them but they're going to need a, a, a there's no doubt they're going to need a big performance up front to, to lay a platform and to make sure that that Dan Carter also doesn't have the platform that he thrives on he was the difference in the semi-final against Claremont yes they might have been in the lead but he came on but he you know he was the one that created the Mark Andrew scored and then his break led to that the final try that ultimately put Claremont out of the competition so yeah, there's a, there's a bit of focusing on your own game, but also trying to make sure that you stop the opposition's front football. OK, well, the Leinster game against the Scarlets is on Saturday at 3.30, but our big game is Racing 92 against Munster, and you can get all the action live on Sunday from 2.30pm BT Sport 3. I think it's probably a good time now to introduce our special guest ahead of this mammoth European weekend, former Munster man, Peter Stringer. Strings, good to see you. Looking fit and healthy yeah. as ever. Cheers, lads. Good uh, to what are you up to at the moment? Are you... Uh, Back are you... in Ireland at the moment, just enjoying a bit of family time and uh, um, just relaxing, doing a bit of training and enjoying that kind of freedom away from a, a schedule of a, a seven-day week. But the boots nice. not hung up yet? No, not yet, not yet. Just weighing up my options at the moment and... Uh, We'll see where it takes me. Just a couple of weeks to make a decision and see, see what to do. Well, it's good to see you. You're probably best placed to talk about uh, Munster with what, 15 years were you at Munster? Yeah, 15 years, and yeah. You're obviously back there now. You you can hear the crowd. You can hear what everyone's talking about. What's the feeling around the area as to Munster's chances? Yeah, there's a real kind of um, a real buzz, a real atmosphere. I think that I, I haven't been around in a few years, but... In chatting to the guys and chatting to just the, the general perception with the public is, you know, there's something building. I think the last couple of years, Munster have been there, thereabouts, but just missing that kind of, just being that finished article. But I think this year, in looking at a lot of the games they've played and being behind in games, there just seems to be a real composure there and a real kind of structure that they're sticking to and it's working for them. So it's, I think... Like I said, the the public are getting excited about it again, which I think is great for the province. Um, and a semi-final, it's just great to be back at that stage. And I think there's a real optimism to get to a final again. Did you personally find it difficult the first few years after leaving Munster, watching them and not being part of it? Oh, yeah, it was horrible. <laughs> um, you go away, and I suppose I left under circumstances where your fourth choice scrum half and in a place that you've been... A regular starter for 15 years and it's very very difficult and as good as the place is and as much as I didn't want to leave for my own sanity and for my own rugby well-being I had to get out of there and had to you know look for opportunities to get on the field and you know ultimately I wasn't finished playing and you know it was always difficult watching you know you see them get into the different stages and leaving that kind of that hub and that atmosphere that I'd grown up with and, and you know, it's where you're from and you know what it's like and, you know, playing for the people where you've grown up. So, it's, yeah, it's very difficult and, you know, you're slowly kind of coming around to being, you know, a fan again and going to the games and being part of that kind of atmosphere and I think... And are you there now? Yeah, no, you are. You are, absolutely. And I think in in many ways, 
the passing of of Anthony Foley was a thing that you know brought many of guys together the, the the past players with the current squad you know you you didn't really have any connection with them you didn't really kind of have any kind of reason to kind of hang out and chat with them and that was a funny kind of a a situation where under kind of very very um sad circumstances that brought a two groups of people together you know on that day when Munster played Glasgow the day after Anthony's uh, funeral was something that I've never experienced as a player on the field or someone watching a game in the stands um the atmosphere and and just being in the ground that day you know you felt like you were kind of part of it again mm. so that uh your famous red number 9 Sure. It was synonymous with you, very recognisable player. Obviously, at the heartbeat of that really successful period for Munster. But there's another Munster number nine now who's doing great guns. A lot of people talking about him as potentially the best scrum half in the world at the moment. Um, how important is he to the current crop? Uh, looking back of those big characters that were so important for you. Yeah, time? he's um, you know he's the key guy there. Um, you look at the kind of the pivotal positions and you look at nine and ten and you look at your, your your captain and you know he's he's up there i think you know when he plays and he plays well then monster tick i think you look at it last week and in south africa you know monster were struggling they were behind and you know connor comes on and you know to be fair he's an incredible game and just i think the composure that he has he just looks like he's got so much time with the ball in his decision making and his control and you know he's coming out of the 22 or you know, he just knows what to do and it's all very, very structured. And I think there was no panic and I think when he came on, you know, he scores his try and, you know, he settles things down and, and they stuck to a plan. They didn't try and do anything kind of off script and, and nothing, you know, there was no panic kind of set in. So he was very much the controller of that and obviously his his, his kick at the end of the game, um, you know, sealed it. But yeah, from from a point of view of, you know, when, when you, I suppose when the guys see him on the field, you know, it makes, I think, everyone's job a lot, a lot easier. This, this just looking at the comparing the the last year semi finalist uh, team that the Munster got through. Um, it looked as though they got through an emotion, and and I think they were probably um, shown up in the semi final the gulf in 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 caliber and class between them and Saracens. I get the feeling this year though that that that's gone. Now it's not a team ha having to rely on um, a big moment in a season to inspire them. They look very well drilled. They look as though they've got a very clear way they're playing. And they've got players at the peak of their powers. You've got play players like uh, Peter Armani and Stander and Keith Earls all really playing the best rugby of their lives. It is, you know, by Munster standards, it's now about winning silverware. It's not about getting to finals anymore because there's been a, you know, a few barren years by Munster standards, which is crazy, still getting to semifinals but not winning trophies. Uh, is this the crop now to break that mould and, and create a, another legacy, another generation or another um, period of time where you're going to see you know, some concerted success? Well, as a Munster man, I, you know, you'd, li you'd like to think so. I think, um, like you mentioned, in the last couple of years, you had those kind of moments. Like you said, you've, you rely on that kind of passion. But now you're at a stage when you're playing big French teams, you've got to have more than just passion. You've got to have kind of the intelligence behind it to have a game plan. You've got to have those guys who are able to implement that game plan. Game plan. I think with, to be fair, Jerry Flannery and Felix Jones are two outstanding guys that have been... I suppose in that setup, um, seeing the transition of, you know, Anthony um, 
Razi Rasmus and now Johan van Graan. And, and they've been the guys who have probably put a lot of the structure on it. A lot of these kind of coaches have come in and overseen that and, and implemented their own kind of little ideas. But I think those two guys have put something in place and have instilled something within the squad that um, I think is, is really, really special. And I think you, you, you spoke about it that it's an opportunity for these guys to push on to the next level. And I think they have to. I think, um, you know, semi-final, you know, going down to, to France and it's by no means a home game for, for Racing at the weekend and it's it's an opportunity that Munster certainly won't shy away from. You know, I haven't played them a number of times in the last couple of years and, and you know, won more games than lost against them. So, yeah, it's it's an opportunity for them. They will, I think, be very, very confident going down there. I, I don't see any reason why, you know, they, they won't win the game. Um, and then, you know, a final, anything can happen. And it's probably a final we're all kind of wishing for as a, a Munster-Leinster final. Well, you say that. So I've got, I've got a question for both of you, actually, because um, I, I guess it depends. There's both sides of it. If your team loses, do you want the other team to get into the final? If your team wins, do you want the other two team to get in? Because Northampton-Leicester, for example, the rivalry of those two teams, actually, most Leicester people probably wouldn't want Northampton to do very well, regardless of who they were playing, whether they were playing a foreign team or, or not, and vice versa, I imagine. So is that rivalry the same with, with the provinces? I'd say a few years ago, there was no way if Leinster lost, I would have wanted Munster to go through to the final. Um, but I think... Maybe you soften a small bit, and I think I've I've probably learned to champion as much as I'm still biased towards you know, my old club. I think you still want to champion the Irish teams um, when they're do when they're going well, and in in the event that Leinster lost on 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 um, Friday or Saturday, would would I want Munster to go through? I would because I, I think uh, Irish rugby is on a high, and I think it can um, it can really explode from there and, and continue that momentum that the Irish team has shown from the Six Nations going into Australia. Um, what I would say is that Leinster um, wouldn't want, if you had to pick your your final, the players I, would, I think wouldn't want to be that would, they would like Racing. Yeah. Because there's an equaliser, you know, it, uh, aspects to having one of the provincial teams. Yeah. You know each other so well individually, but play each other quite regularly. Um, and, and you do, uh, you know, from a nice perspective, you know that history counts for a lot and you know that they will never give up. Whereas there is a sense that if you if you can get momentum against a French opposition team that, you know, maybe, I wouldn't say they'll capitulate, but, you know, they, they mightn't come back at you like a monster would. And irrespective of form going into that final, if Leinster kill it in the semi and Munster, you know, fall into the final, I would be so fearful because the yeah. thought from a from a fan's perspective of losing to your arch rival is unthinkable, particularly in a final. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think um, when you're playing for Munster, and I think, like we spoke about earlier, the, the prospect of Leinster being in a final if you didn't get, get there as a player, it's the last thing you would have wanted. But I, I, I can see from your point of view now when you're we're away and I've been in the UK and you know, you're watching the Irish team and you see how well Leinster have done. You know, yeah, I, I would like to like to see them in the final if Munster don't get there. Um, and I think you spoke about the final. If it is the two of them, you know, whatever about tactics and, and I suppose planning going into a game like that, the physicality, you know, first and foremost is the thing that will dictate the game and it's how your key players then will kind of control the, the other elements and how you kind of handle the pressure on the day because there's no pressure like it when you when you play against the other provinces and like the fact the fact you said you know guys so well you know what they do um and the, the sheer emotion that's involved is um 
is, is incredible. And it's, it's how you kind of, I suppose, manipulate those kind of key moments in the games that will have a huge bearing on it. All right, as promised, we can now hear from Munster scrum half Connor Murray as he talks of his hopes of reaching the Champions Cup final after last year's heartbreak. So, Connor, last time you and I spoke on a rugby field was pre-match ahead of last season's semi-final. You were injured. I got hit by Simon Deal across the kick. Yes. Still haven't picked him up on that. Mm. Did you do it on my behalf? I have. I've gotten him back. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah, I'm yeah. glad. You suffered a concussion from that, didn't <laughs> it you? It was awful. I should yeah, have claimed, yeah. actually. That was awful. Um, <laughs> how disappointing was that to lose that match, I guess, especially after the year you had? Yeah. Uh, it was such a massive day for, for us as a team and, and like you said, the year we had with everything that had gone on, I think um, we all kind of half believed it was written in the stars for us and, and I think it, it, the occasion might have got to us a little bit. It was tough watching and, and, and viewing the lads, you know, give it everything and, and just come up short. But um, yeah, really disappointing. We all wanted that magical ending to, to what was an incredible year on, on so many kind of emotional levels, but um, I think you know, we learned an awful lot from it, uh, and you, you learn an awful lot more from your defeats than you do your wins. So, um, hopefully, this weekend we can kind of put those uh, little lessons into practice and, and, and go one more. Um, what do you think sets you apart and your style of play apart from the other nines? In let's go with you at first at the moment. Okay, um, composure. I think I think I'm quite a relaxed individual and laid back, and you know, I like to, to chill out and stuff. And um, I think that works to my benefit at times. People, you know, people are saying that you're you're quite composed on the pitch, or you know, you make a good decision at, at the right times. And I think that's just in my personality. I'm quite a laid-back individual. So I think uh, over the years, um, learning your trade in a scrum half role, you do have to make quite um, important decisions at at certain times. Playing with a good ten is obviously a help as well. And I've been lucky enough through my career, I played with really good tens and. Overall, I think it's probably com composure uh, is something that I w I've worked on. I think right now, after after a few years of doing it, uh, like there's a few more good days to talk about. But at the start, especially yeah. playing with um, Raj and stuff, uh, you know, I got plenty wrong, plenty, plenty wrong. I'm he, sure he told you. He told me every time, <laughs> and he made it out, and you know, it was really good for me uh, as a learning curve. He used to always just make fun of my bad decisions. Um, you know, if, I remember one game against Racing in, in Paris um, years ago, and I, I, I dummied a kick. We were up by like two points, dummied a kick, got turned over, and Ollie Barkley slotted the winner. And I was just like, afterwards, he came into the dressing room, and he was like laughing almost at me. He's like, You had some brain fart there, didn't you? And it kind of made it okay straight away. And that definitely helped me um, deal with bad decisions and, and not be afraid of, of uh, going again. So we finish it then with um, Mick Galway's quote this week in one of the papers over here, and he said, "We fear no one. We're Munster." It's kind of that. Is that the way you you'll be feeling running out on Sunday? Uh, yeah, uh, fear is a, is a is a weird word. I think we'll we'll definitely respect the the players that Racing have and how good a team they are. But I think um, the amount of players in our squad now do, that have been through these semi-final defeats, you know, two or three of them now at this stage and uh, four for some lads. Uh, I think, you know, this is a game we're going to have to go and go and play and attack this game um, and not leave anything behind. Last year, um, we had a few regrets that we didn't play against Arsenal. We, we kind of waited to see what would happen. Um, and, you know, from playing a few big games um, through the years, you know, if the ones you win are the ones you don't stop playing, the ones that you, you almost forget about the occasion and, and you just go after. So 
I think a lot of lads who, who have an attachment to this team are, are feel like that this week, that this is a game we need to go and win as opposed to a game, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll show up and we'll, and we'll try, you know, contain them or whatever. It's, it's something you've got you to gotta attack. So, um, yeah, in a, in a romantic way, that'll be uh, something in, in the back of our heads that we've we got go to go and get this and, and have no fear. Right, ben, uh, let's quickly go over last week's results after a busy round in the Aviva Premiership. Now with the top four um, spot really, really intensifying. Um, Newcastle 35, Sale 30. What an absolute belter of a game we had on Friday evening. It was unbelievable. I think Newcastle got out to a 25-0 uh, lead. Uh, we thought it was all done and dusted. Bonus point in the bank. Uh, and then Sale went in and had a, uh, a light-hearted conversation with their ever-so-nice director of rugby, Steve Diamond, and came out. And I think they scored 27 unanswered points themselves. Newcastle stealing it back right at the end. But I think it just sort of sums up this premiership season really just as you think that one team is is getting themselves into um, a secure place they lose a game that they shouldn't lose or they something happens and and, and we're back to square one all over again and uh, certainly that happened uh, this weekend and it, and, it, and in advance of seeing that that Leicester uh, Northampton game that result uh, where Leicester went down at home uh, to the Saints which was you know probably the the shock um, yeah. outcome of of the weekend, considering the form that Saints have been in and and the, the performance they put in. But I but think, do you know? I think everyone in Leicester, uh, well, not not everyone perhaps, because <laughs> they didn't do anything about it. But if there's one team Leicester didn't want to be playing, it was an out of form Northampton Saints because they had nothing to lose in terms of everyone was expecting Leicester to to win it with with how the results had gone the week before. And uh, a derby day, an East Midlands derby, is never like that. You never can turn up thinking that you're going to win a game. And fair play to Northampton. They played the ideal game. So, obviously, they've done a, a massive favour to uh, Newcastle. Um, yeah. You would have expected that Leicester would have managed to force their way into, into that semi-final spot. Uh, spot. But, um, but now, at the same time, Destiny is still in Leicester's hands. Well, it is. That's I, all you so can I, ask for in, think, in the run out. You know, for the last four, or sorry, the last two weeks, looking at the last four games, I think we said because of the way the fixture list has fallen and actually all those teams are playing each other, um, we saw Wasps lose up at Sale, which wasn't necessarily expected. Um, we, you know, we, we, we saw Leicester then um, winning, but, but losing against... Um, the Saints, and, and obviously we've mentioned uh, Newcastle losing a game as well. Because they play each other, we said, you need to win three out of your last four. If you win three out of your last four, you're probably going to finish top because you or fin finish in the top four because you're going to beat the other teams and prevent them getting the points getting up there. So I still think that's the same. I still think Leicester now need to win two out of their uh, two games and that would be two out two out of three from from last week so um, but what what does make it exciting is if you do look at that table um that it's it's not completely inconceivable to, for Newcastle if they lost their remaining two games to find themselves out of the top six altogether yeah I mean it's it's ridiculous isn't it it, it, it makes it makes the last yeah. two weekends so exciting yeah, it where does. particularly actually, with the form that that Sale are finding themselves in now albeit yeah. they came off second best in um up in, in Kingston Park but they were excellent so if they can bring that over the next couple of weeks they win 
you know, they're going to be right in the hunt, certainly certainly for, for European qualification, and they'll be pushing hard for to get into that top four. It'd be great for us on BT Sport because every year all the, all the last round of matches have to, uh, by premiership rules, kick off at the same time. And so we'll have cameras at all the grounds and we'll be able to follow that story. There'll be less analysis of the match we're actually at, uh, but we'll be able to float in the tries and it will be stunningly exciting yeah there's no doubt it's um, it's an exciting climax to the season on that just, front just one other thing um, Saracens uh, hammered Bath 41-6 Saracens yeah we spoke, spoke about their uh, early season troubles or mid, mid-season troubles before they seem to have put those to rest with, with their last two performances another thrashing um, where, where did it go wrong for Bath what's what's happened them this season well, particularly the latter part of the season I don't know you know, I saw um, a comment that maybe some of their star players haven't gelled together yet. They've brought a few of them in, but I, I don't know. You look at the spine of that team, you know. Fantastic. The, you know, Foto Elihi, yeah. um, you look at Watson and um, and Joseph, you know, in the back line. It's, you know, there is, in key positions, you yeah. do have very impressive players. Well, Why has it not? I think one area, particularly over the last few weeks, and, and when you when your confidence... Confidence has to be built up over a period of time. And Bath have never, over the last few years, had that period where they can go, actually, we're resilient. We know that when times are bad, we can still eke out out games. But I think the biggest problem for them this year, particularly in the last few weeks, has been the injuries they've had in the front row. Because no matter, and particularly if your confidence is a bit low, no matter how well you can put together a phase of play, it can all be undone by a scrum penalty and you, you end up, Having had a fantastic tack or a knock on attack, well, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because then it, it, it there's a sense of the inev- yeah. inevitable, yeah. which almost has a, a negative detrimental. Yeah. And once you get tetchy like and once you get nervous, actually, you end up giving away more penalties and, and, and hesitating more and, and giving the other. The issue, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, yeah, let's see, look. It's something that uh, Todd Blackout is going to have to sort out. Uh, looks like for next year now, but. Um, it's a it's a tough dilemma for them. So Gloucester obviously had a, another big win as well, um, semi final in the Challenge Cup against Newcastle in King's home, um, thirty seven nine win against Quinns. Quinns seem to be in a little bit of a free fall at the moment, but Gloucester taking full advantage of it. And yeah, there's the we talk about the confidence injection you need it in in advance of going into the business end of the season. Well, they certainly got that. Oh, huge and. Particularly with that win under tough circumstances for Newcastle, they need they needed that. I think Johan Ackerman would have actually preferred a, a more phys- physical hit out and and not for everything to go his side's way. I think he would have wanted a closer uh, game than that. But uh, a bonus point win. Um, from a Harlequin's perspective, this is going to sound like I'm accusing the players of being lazy. I'm not, but they're. They're already on the beach, aren't they? They they yeah. just want this season to end. It's not it's not that they they're not trying by by saying they're already on the beach. They they are desperate for this season to end and so that they can rebuild. They they know that they're losing their director of rugby um, at the end of the season. He's going to part company, and they just don't want to be here. They don't want to be playing the last two games. And they've got some you know, brilliant players in that team. Another side that when you look at the spine of the team they've got. They, they should be doing better. So, uh, uh, yeah, people will write them off for next year, but with the quality they've got in, in some of the positions, I don't think you can do that. And then 
Yeah, we looked at Wasps. Have you been impressed with the the latter part of uh, of their season? Are they, you know, in that position where they're just obviously behind the you know the top two, but are are they a very dangerous semi final opponent? Yeah, Wasps look uh, like they're peaking at the right time. I think you know that axis of obviously Cipriani got that really nasty head knock at the end of the the sale game but the fact that that's not been too bad and, and he's been able to uh come back into the squad that hasn't disrupted them i think have getting jimmy gopeth back when they did gives them that security that if anything happens to cipriani he can slide over but also that um just that presence that he has around the team i think cipriani for me uh, has been one of the players of the season uh, in the Premiership. He's been absolutely superb, but also his combination with Willie LaRue and Willie LaRue's ability to stand in at first receiver and then give the ball to a, a Gopeth or a Cipriani to almost get round that hard press and, and give by him a bit of time to make that decision making. So those three players at the moment will scare any team they face. In the they will, but, but again, you know, like most sides, if you attack their, you know, their underbelly and, and up front, you know, and you can starve that quality of player possession, you know, is is that half the job? Yeah, against it is. A, a, um, a team, but they've got, you know, they've they've toughened up in that area, and they have got a back row that most teams would would die for. Really, the likes of Thomas Young, you got Haskell involved there. You know, they they've found Jack Willis, who for me is. The find of the season, yeah, yeah. so uh, uh, you know you've still got uh, Thompson in there as well. So they've just got a, a bat row that is an embarrassment of riches to the extent where Haskell can't they, they can't afford to keep Haskell. They can't uh, Thompson's leaving as well because they've got Brad Shields coming in next year. So yeah, it's a very very strong area of Wasps game, and that actually they don't want to get involved in a set piece battle because with that bat row and that back line. They can tear any team apart. Well, that's the the Premiership done and dusted. We're going to look at some news. It's going to be a tough news uh, news section this, Drico, because yeah. there's a there's a lot of controversial is the wrong word, but that's highly a, emotive stories yeah. Uh, yeah. over the last uh, few, couple of weeks. Pretty delicate. Yeah. Top, topics as yeah. well. Obviously, the, the, the first bit of news is after Stuart Olding and Paddy Jackson uh, were cleared of rape at Belfast Crown Court, uh, the IRFU and Ulster Rugby said they were going to continue uh, with the suspension of their contracts while they did their own investigation. They've now completed that investigation and completely revoked the contracts of the players with immediate uh, effects. Uh, they said there was a responsibility and commitment to the core values of the game of respect, inclusivity and integrity. So they're not questioning the verdict against no, the players. They're, they're, they're saying they were innocent. Yeah. Uh, but some of the, the details that came out in, into the public domain around the court case, specifically the WhatsApp messaging. their WhatsApp messaging and, and their derogatory uh, terms that were used around women uh they've decided that they can't have a, a future in irish rugby uh, to be honest with you i i don't think there's huge surprise in it yes there's um there's certain factions of the ulster supporters um club that um i think i believe have signed a, a petition and um have, have questioned the decision for me it's 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 twofold it's are, is the decision made from a a, a moral or a commercial perspective I, I think you can only you, know, you don't know exactly what the thinking behind the, what the IRFU have, uh, have, have suggested but I'd say it's probably a little of both um, I think there's definitely been pressure come from um, 
from sponsors. It was well documented in the papers that one of the Ulster um, sponsors of, of 20 years um, was wondering, you know, certainly very um, interested in what the findings were going to be, suggesting that they might have to reconsider um, their, their involvement, just a suggestion. And then obviously that's, that's also fueled a growing concern and unease uh, within the public as to what the outcome was going to be. But I must say, first of all, am I surprised that the IRFU um, have um, revoked the contracts? Not really. I think those question marks, whether the decision came from a moral or a commercial perspective, I would think that it probably came from a little of both. There was no doubt that there was pressure from uh, sponsors, uh, both at Ulster and, and Irish uh, international level. I think that has that pressure has been fueled by public uh, unease and and discontent over you know wh what the decision was going to be or or the findings of um, the trial. Not not so much the outcome, but you know those detailed WhatsApp messages and has the game been brought into disrepute off the back of it? You would suggest yes, and as a result, the RFU have have, have moved swiftly. I think to also try and end this saga. It's been detrimental to the game has been detrimental to the perception of, of of rugby in Ireland and they're looking to put closure to the whole uh, uh, event it's it's a strange because I, I heard the Ulster you know the other Ulster players uh, read out a statement and it was pretty non-committal on on, en on any front it was you know they wished the players well said that they'd do well on um, in, in anything that they tried their hat in, in life um, but it was a very, very brief statement. So everyone is pretty afraid of giving I, a soundbite to this right. because because you're going to alienate and some portion uh, or, or... You're 100% or right. Or some fact, some, and it's the same in any sport, actually, where someone says controversial now because of uh, the existence of Twitter and everything else. People aren't prepared to talk about subjects because of a fear of saying the wrong thing and getting jumped on. So uh, I, think, I think you're absolutely right. I think it, you know, it's sometimes quite difficult. It, it was a bit the same with, with when, you know, when, we, when we saw Mathieu Bastro make, make his comment. There was silence, really, from, from a lot of people, apart from just con condemning him. And that's one of the problems, isn't it, that, that actually sometimes people need to speak about things. So if we move now slightly to the other big topic. Just, just in advance of doing that, I, 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 do, I, I do think the, the one positive to take from this and there's very few positives from cases like this but one positive within Ireland in particular is um, the whole question around consent and what consent is yeah. and about the need to educate exactly. in particular young young boys and young men and and have at least get the conversation out there Absolutely. Um, and you know there's you know, any suggestions of misogynistic undertones within the game have to be stamped yeah. out immediately. So it, it's brought certain things to, to the table from a conversation point of view, and, and that can only be uh, a good and, thing going forward. Yeah, and another thing, although people sort of say we well, shouldn't be... They didn't put it on social media. It was a private uh, WhatsApp messaging group. So now the realisation that actually what you say as a bit of banter, between, that, that's totally the wrong term, but uh, you know, thinking you're having a bit of a laugh with your mates, that might come back to haunt you one day. You can't, you can't put out this public uh, facade of, of being respectful to women and then amongst each other have this chat. Exactly. So I think it's just There's a elevating that level of respect. that goes beyond yeah. the pitch yeah. uh, you know, to the game. You know, I, I alluded to it then, but there's a, another case um, that, that's been very high profile in rugby, uh, and that was Israel Falau's comments um, that 
Uh, I'm going to be careful how I put this because I don't want to. Um, I don't want to misrepresent what he said. He was asked in an open Q and A uh, Twitter session, "What were your thoughts?" Again, so it sounded like someone was le leading him with a question that they already knew the answer to. What were your thoughts as to what would happen um, mm. to homosexuals? And he said, um, "Words to the effect of." If they don't repent their sins, I believe if they don't repent their sins, they will go to, to hell. So he wasn't saying, I think they should go to hell, but he was saying His belief. a very, very inflammatory belief, uh, which he must have known was going to be, even if he... Even if that is your Even belief, if that's your religious right, you, belief, you have to know, you can't be shaken a, out a profile of as, as exactly. Israel Falao has, that that's not going to be, um, a, a, you know, blown up you know, yeah. into the you, you have to know if if you're Israel Falau you know if you're if you're talking particularly anything now from a social network perspective um is is global within well, you're publishing and comments in it. when you say yeah. something on a social media you're publishing your comments um and for him he he, he does have a responsibility he has Absolutely. a responsibility within his role as an Australian rugby player yeah um to the masses, to the fans and supporters out there, to, yes, he might have beliefs, but to be very outspoken about your beliefs when they're going to be... And he's, he's got to know they're going to be received pretty poorly by huge, well, huge numbers. The other numbers. thing is, there might be some young juveniles, if you like, in Australia who are struggling to come to terms with their sexuality. Mm -hmm. They, they, they might be it, they don't want to tell anyone or, or, or vice versa, who might have put... Israel Folau a couple of years ago on a pedestal as their biggest hero in the world. And if you're struggling uh, mentally to, to cope and your biggest hero says what the thoughts that you're having, which are no fault of your own, are mean you, that, that in his belief you're going you're gonna to go to hell, it, it could actually have far-reaching uh, consequences. Con connotations uh, to it. Dangerous consequences. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. dangerous. So by... He could have just ignored that question. We've all had silly questions come into us when we've been doing various things. We get them when we ask for uh, for questions for our guests on rugby tonight. You can just ignore them, and he, even if that is his belief, which I don't agree with myself, he should have ignored that question and kept quiet. Yeah, and well, listen, certain not everyone has has kept quiet on on the issue. Brad Weber, who plays for the. For the Chiefs, uh, condemned Falao's actions on Twitter, saying, kind of sick of us players staying quiet on some of this stuff. I can't stand that I have to play this game that I love with people like Falao who say that he's who say what he's saying. My cousin and her partner and my auntie and her partner are some of the most kind, caring and loving people I've ever had the pleasure of knowing. To think that I play against someone that is uh, that says they'll go to hell for being gays disgusts me. So, yeah. Well, I think that's what, a lot of people it is the, probably it is the consider. general census, consensus um, um, uh, and the outrage around And I think the key in that quote is he hasn't said to think that I play against someone that says uh, that, that believes they'll go to hell for being gay. It's it's that someone says it mm -hmm. and, and comes out and uh, and actually says it. So you know we can't we can't tell everyone what they must believe. Uh, that, that's 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 wrong yeah. as well. But 
just be it's, aware. It's a nervous time. We talked about the sponsors side of thing from, yeah. from the Paddy Jackson and Stuart Olding case. You know, it's a, it's a nervous time for Australian rugby. They're not financially in the best spot they've ever been. No. Uh, the last thing they need on the back of one of their, their big stars, possibly the biggest name in, in uh, Australian rugby, to have sponsors looking and questioning whether they want to be involved with uh, individuals that are as outspoken as that. I think particularly as you know, the, the cricket storm about cheating and ball tampering has caused such a massive disruption of the sponsorship market in Australia. We've seen Australian cricket lose major sponsors because of that. You could easily see the Wallabies losing major sponsors as well. Some difficult topics we've just been speaking about. One that's probably easier uh, to speak about without offending people, but still... Um, a, a very controversial issue is uh, the World Cup qualifier game between uh, Spain and Belgium in March that was refereed by uh, Romanian Vlad Lordacescu. We haven't heard anything in terms of whether the game's going to be replayed. To put it into context, you know, Vlad Lordacescu yeah. is a Romanian referee yes. and the other team that was vying Absolutely. for World Cup qualification were Romania. Yes, and uh, since then, uh, there have been question marks about uh, players from various nations' um, uh, qualification to p play in the international games anyway. Uh, but one thing has uh, come out of it that uh, Rugby Europe has announced uh, that its judicial committee has banned two of the players, uh, Guillaume Rouet for nine months and Sebastian Rouet for ten months uh, after physical and verbal abuse of the Romanian referee. Not insignificant, but... <laughs> Lord, Lord Vlad, Vlad. Yeah, Vlad. Um, not insignificant bans. You know, you don't you don't see those sort of months no. um, being handed out no. um, you know, very often. So it's um, definitely a, a statement. Um, being, uh, is, it, is it World Rugby? Sorry, the uh, rugby European Europe. Rugby Europe, I should say. Um, you know, listen... You know, no referee. Uh, you know, the the core values of the game uh, is certainly one of the big ones is respect of the yeah. referee. And you, you know, as soon as there's any leniency in that regard, you know, people will pile in and it'll it, it, you know will be in free fall there. So I, I I get it that they wanted to be impactful with handing out you know such long sentences, but. I get the sense that with this this decision hasn't it's it's not gone to bed it's no. not been put to bed yet about the possible replaying of the game there were the the Spanish players were absolutely appalled by yeah. some of the refereeing decisions. Well, Spain um, might struggle to put a team out actually because I'd missed that uh, three other Spanish players Pierre Barter, Lucas Guillaume, and Matteo Belli have been banned for three and a half months respectively uh, for threatening actions and words towards the officials. So I think you're right. That's going to keep going that story isn't it and again the only positive that can come out of it is that the that qualification for some of those uh those nations that are going for for world cup from from the lower tier might be uh set in stone and we might get some uh resolution for your future ones but i think it's going to be very difficult for it to be resolved satisfactorily uh for this time around on to more uh, upbeat news press your <laughs> bristol supporter <laughs> And the Bristol Bears, you know, newly um, promoted uh, Bristol, who have a you know a, an ever increasingly uh, an ever increasingly impressive uh, player roster. Mm -hmm. We're going to see the likes of Charles Pietau joining them from Ulster next season in the Premiership. But news breaking during the week that 
uh, they're now going to be known as the Bristol Bears, uh, officially from June the 1st. Uh, we know that the fans uh, haven't been consulted on the rebrand. Um, some of the Bristol supporters are absolutely furious. Their fear is that they're going to be called the Yogis or the Boo Boos or the Fuzzies, um, which from a Bristol perspective, you, know, you don't want to be finding yourself back in the top flight and then people taking the mickey out of you. Um, do, you do you want to know what I think? Go on. I'm totally ambivalent. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. If you're a hard, this isn't directed at you as a Bristol fan. If you're a Bristol fan, they're going to hope you don't too upset by it. They're going to love the fact that you still call them Briss. But it's about going into other markets and a and a, a, a change of brand. Now, any sports fan, what, what sort of market? Or, or the hard, ba babies. Wait, no, if they're Bristol Bears, if the Yogi Bears. Listen. Leicester Tigers get called the Tiggers by uh, Northampton fans and Northampton fans get called Northampton Stains by the Leicester fans. Whatever you're called, you know, this happened with Sale Sharks not that long ago and I remember Big Ferrari and then six months down the line, everyone's forgotten that they used to be just Sale and they tend to be called Sale whenever you do them on commentary or when you, whenever you speak to their fans. But every now and again, someone will mention the Sharks and they'll have a mascot of a shark. But, the, I think one of the fears with it's sports, part of it on the sports fans side of things is that is that a big imp, is that a big component yeah. to to generate you know excitement and have I think there's have, a community a, angle a mascot running around a, but if you play rugby in Leicester uh, you get asked if you play for Tigers you don't get asked if you play for Leicester mm -hmm. and but that's if you, to if you differentiate play football, you okay you play from football, the football team City. right yeah yeah. So this is a sport, massive sporting club, Bristol, and I, I totally get why they've done it because it, there is, there's been research done that you get more salience and reach by having that brand, and it's all about attracting sponsors in, and um, it's not. I just, I don't think it's that big a story, and the fact that you're going to get the Mickey taken out of you, they'll find something else to take the Mickey out of you if it's not the the name that you, you're doing, and and people say, oh, it's disrespecting the history. What history have Bristol got recently? They, Nothing. They've been in the championship yo-yoing up from the premiership occasionally. They've got a guy who's the richest man in English rugby as their owner who is building the Bristol Sporting Club. If he wants to do it, it's all us lot that are going to be crying, cuddling our teddy bears 10 years down the line when they're, when they're dominating in Europe. Because, you know... Totally I, agree. Totally agree. I think the way to, um, you know, to counter it is... You know, starting in September or, or, or August as it is, with you know two or three victories on the bounce, and people will yeah. forget about the Bears. It'll but all be about your performance. I mean, what uh, Leinster are the Lions? Aren't they? I know they're not. No, that's not they anymore. Haven't. No, oh, they right, were the they? Lions. No, right, we're, uh, yeah, no, so they're well. gone. That's gone. <laughs> God, no, we were. That'd be shoot. ridiculous. Lions, <laughs> Lions. <laughs> they're, they're no, they were for a few seasons. Yeah, they're Leinster rugby. Yeah, but they've got. Leo the lion is um, Leo, yeah, yeah, yeah. Leo the lion is the um, is the, the coach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's Leo Cullen. All right, okay. Uh, look, I I know it is. Whenever there's change in in sport, the current fans hate it. Whether that's moving to a new ground or changing your name or changing a kit or definitely changing your kit color, I, I do understand that. But it tends to settle down, and you'll. If you're upset by it because you're a Bristol fan, you'll still call them Briss. You'll still enjoy going to the game. It's not really going to affect you. But actually, it might grow some of your supporter base and some of those young kids coming through. Like Falcons, Newcastle Falcons. They didn't used to be Newcastle Falcons. No one up in Newcastle anymore is bothered that they're called Falcons. They, you know, they quite like it. So I think it'll just blow over. Yeah. Right, just before we preview this week's games, uh, let's hear from Racing 92's Dan Carter. 
describing the Champions Cup as a different animal altogether. Big game at the weekend, uh, Munster versus Racing. How are preparations going? Yeah, it's been a good week. Uh, really excited. You, you just notice the lift. Um, you know, even though we try to prepare the same each week, you know, you know that there's an extra special game this week just by the, the lift and the energy, the excitement, uh, the intensity at training. It's just another step up, and that's exactly what you need going into, you know, a playoff game uh, as big as this against a strong Munster side. So preparations are going well. Have you um, targeted an area which potentially you could exploit on the weekend? You know, we were fortunate that we've played uh, Munster you know, on a few occasions over the last couple of years, so we, we know their style of play, we, we know where they, they like to punish you, and, and basically, you know, it's all about just being clinical, uh, being more accurate than we've been all season, because they're a team that put you under a lot of pressure uh, defensively at, at the ruck, so it's important we step up in those areas and, and we're able to, um, you know, to be extremely clinical with the ball and, and not give them uh, the opportunities that they'll feed off. So they're a class team. They're, uh, you know, they've shown what they're capable of over the last couple of years and, you know, they've been a great opposition to us over the last couple of years, put us on a lot of pressure, had some good victories against us. Um, so, you know, hopefully, you know, we can turn up and, and put one back on them this weekend, but it's, it's going to take a huge effort. Do you think playing in Bordeaux gives you any advantage? Oh, a little bit. Um, obviously, you know, their supporters are amazing. They tend to travel uh, wherever they're playing, so I'm sure there'll be plenty of Munster supporters. But, you know, being the only French uh, team left in this competition, hopefully, uh, you know, the French people from even outside of Paris can can uh, support us uh, this weekend and, and try and help us, uh, you know, go one step further in this competition. Rassing have so much big game experience over the last couple of years. That 2016 final, what have you learned from that and, and will it help you going into the semis and potentially another opportunity? Yeah, 2016 was it was a great season for us. We played a lot of playoff football, made the final stages of this competition, and there's a lot of players that played in that game uh, that will be playing this weekend, and you know they would have learned a lot from that experience. It's you know it's another step up from round robin play, even uh, you know playoff plays when you're playing in a final. It is just another step up. So hopefully we would have learned a lot from uh, from that loss to, to a quality Saracens side and obviously the disappointment that we had last year not making the playoffs um, adds for a bit of motivation as well so obviously up against a strong Munster side and um, but the motivation the, the talents there we just have to go out there and, and apply it now. Has it been mentioned this week? No it hasn't actually um, you know because it was a couple of seasons ago um, and even though there were some a lot of players that played that they would have drawn on that experience but it's not something that we've gone back and, and used as motivation this week there's uh, plenty of other motivation that, that we can draw upon uh, this week uh, to try and uh, you know get the get the winner against Munster. So um, yeah, hopefully uh, you know this good week's preparation that we'll have will be the foundations of a, a good result. Is it important for you to leave Racing with a trophy? It's that's uh, why I play the game is to you know try and help my teammates uh, be successful and and uh, sort of win trophies. And lucky enough. Throughout my career, I've been able to win a few, and I just love that experience. I would love some of the younger players at this club that haven't had that experience before to to feel that enjoyment, that satisfaction, the the the, the feeling of you know reaching your goal and, and having that success. So you know, it's a real driving uh, motivation for me to to try and uh, help uh, help this club uh, be successful. And and obviously, with moving to Japan uh, next season, it's you know, my last opportunity to do that. So make sure that I continue to, to work hard and any opportunity that I do get, just make sure I give it everything I've got and you know, help this team be, be successful. You're going to miss it? I think once I leave I'll miss it. Uh, I'll miss the guys. You know, they're a great bunch. 
Um, I like my family here, obviously being so far away from New Zealand. Uh, not having many friends over here, you, you draw upon your, your teammates and uh, like I said, we are, we are like a family. And so sort of moving on, um, you know, definitely uh, you know, miss the environment that we've got here and, and, and my teammates, but you know, pretty excited about the, the next challenge, but have me thinking too much about that. Um, you know, being in the final stage of this competition, just want to focus on, on the job that needs to be done here first and you know, I can worry. Uh, about my new challenge and, and, and missing this place uh, That's you know, in a the future. Interview. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
You mentioned the semi-final of the of the Challenge Cup. What would a trophy do for your project here? I mean, any silverware is always good for the club. You know, just to see the club holding silverware, I think it's good for the supporters, for the people that work, for the players, for the, you know, for the. It's a long season and they've put in a lot of work and a lot of sacrifice and especially yeah, in the UK, you know, we don't get snow in South Africa in, <laughs> in the cold winter. So to, to train in that conditions, you know, it's quite tough. So For quite long periods actually yeah, as well. Yeah, so I mean, so I think it will mean a lot, you know, and, 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 and it's something that, you know, I say to the players always, don't take any game for granted. You know, you only start missing it once you retire, once you finish off the game. Again, how many of us as players in your playing career, some is very fortunate, they almost lift every trophy that they take part in, but some will have a 10-year career and only win like one or two trophies. So you can't take anything for granted. So obviously it will be in a lot for, for everyone, yeah, the club, the club involved, but like I said, you know, it's still, still a big uh, 80 minutes performance before we can worry about that. Newcastle aside, you know very well, they're playing some, some terrific rugby um, of their own, you've won up there, they've won at King's Home. Um, how spicy is it going to be? Yeah, I think it's almost got a Premiership feel to it more than a European feel. Just the fact that we've played each other the, the season and also I think a few weeks ago. And like you've mentioned, they they the one side that came in and beaten us. So, um, you know, it's going to be a, a massive challenge. They just had a, 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 you know, a good win again on the weekend. and. Um, we, they're well known to us and therefore, you know, it's, it's, it's up to us to make sure we're ready to, to perform and not to expect that King's Home is going to do it for us or the fact that, uh, you know, we can just pitch up. So I think that's the biggest challenge for us to be there mentally and physically and, and to match what they've got because they a quality side, you know, with good players, but also they can keep the ball for long periods. Does it rankle? Still, does it does it irritate and annoy and niggle the players that they're the one team that turned you over at Kingston? <laughs> I think it, if I was a player, I'd would have, you know. Um, but again, you know, um, it's something that you know I want the players to re realize. And, and in, in, you you sometimes can't make a game bigger than what it is, and you sometimes can't you know focus more on one game than the other game. So I don't want us to be get you know personal or it, it, you know this. We've got a plan in place. We've got, you know, certain things that we have to achieve. You know, good set phase, good line out, and if you don't do that, if if it becomes an individual battle or a, a battle with agendas, then you sometimes lose that focus. Uh, Brian, did you know that Cardiff Blues are playing Poe? I do, I do, I know it well. Cardiff Blues had a really impressive win against Edinburgh in the quarterfinal. Um, they're actually a form that uh, a team that's that's hit some form, hit a, a a hot streak over the course of the last couple of months. They've pushed themselves right into contention um, for uh, for automatic qualification in um, in the Pro 14. Something that didn't look um, attainable in the early parts of the year, but they've really turned it around. And obviously, they've they've got Poe um, in. Who are who are mixing it in the in the top fourteen, right on the on the cusp of uh, automatic qualification? They're you know in one week out another, but Poe have that added added incentive that they're not a million miles away from Bilbao and be a, a nice little spot yeah. for for their home supporters just to be able to drive down the road and you know give them full voice on the, on the Friday uh, final before the Champions Cup on the Saturday. And uh, will Cardiff's trip down to South Africa? 
and the fact that they played in South Africa last Saturday and all that travelling they've had to do, will that be outweighed by the fact that they won with a seven-try uh, spread over the Southern Kings? Well, or it's much the same as the as the as the Munster scenario. You know, I, I have heard that it that that trip does take it's, it takes its toll. It's not it's not an easy. Uh, round trip, you know, you play two weeks down there, but you, you you've got to spin it in your own way, and you've you've got to you know realize too that th there is a, a trophy to be played for after this game. You qualify, you're in a final. You know, sides like Cardiff haven't been in a million finals in recent years, so a huge amount to to play for. So I think you've got to convince yourself that it's been a a, a great bonding process for the squad to be able to do those mini tours. We don't get that opportunity with club sides very often anymore. So to go away for two weeks and to go and, and you know, granted beat a, a very poor King um, Southern Kings side, but you know, they still have to get the job done. Back home and a little bit of sun on your back down there, you know, never hurts at this time of the year. Right, moving on to the Champions Cup. We've already had a bit of a chat about it. Um, let's get a bit more tactical and look at some of the personnel. Um, it's the third time that Racing and Munster have met this season. Uh, they've each won one each. Munster, obviously, we're thinking that Keith Earls might be returning after a knee injury. How big a boost would that be for them? Absolutely huge boost. I think, you know, he's been one of the informed players for Ireland this year. I think he's been excellent for Munster. Any time I've I've seen them, he's been really good in Europe. I think he's he's a he's a, a real leader in their team now, and um, they've got plenty of leadership throughout that pack with Peter Omani and Stander in there and Murray at nine. I think it's great that that they're able to spread it out and his um, you know that combination of himself, you know Andrew Conway and um, and Simon Zebo at fullback when when they've been good, they've been really good this season. So. Uh, he he is um, he is the sort of player now that that you expect w when he gets the ball for him to create something or for something to happen. Uh, he definitely has X factor, and um, whether he's going to be a hundred percent fit or not, I think you know they'll get him in the team because um, he, as an opposition winger, I would imagine I've never you know I've defended him at thirteen, uh, uh, training many many times, and uh, and in and in some games and. He is a disaster to defend against, right, a okay. nightmare to defend against. He's got wicked feet. Yeah, his it's the it's the um, distance that his sidestep chop comes. You know that creates. It's not it's not a little chop step to the left where it's a couple of feet. You know it's it's a meter and a half. And all difference of a between an arm and a shoulder. You're clutching at yeah. you know a thin air rather. You're get you're barely getting a hand on right. rather than getting some form of shot for yeah. someone else to clean up. Yeah. So yeah, he's he's been in magnificent form. He's really. Chilled out, mellowed out the last few years. Um, he's been uh, he has been reported in Ireland that he's gone to get the help of an illusionist in Ireland, a guy called Keith Barry. Um, I, I don't know what he is. An illusionist. Yeah, an illusionist. Yeah, yeah. Um, quite Make a successful illusionist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he's yeah, but it's, I think you know he life has definitely been put in perspective. Uh, he talks a lot, uh, quite openly about you know the. You know the major issues are, you know, around the world, and how he's able to just treat it as a, as a game. You know, in, in the bigger scheme of everything, it's simply only a game, and he's able to bring it back to that, even if it is his career. So I think that's worked wonders for him. The, what about where the game's being played in Bordeaux? Because obviously, the other semi-final, there was a big furore about um, it being at the neutral ground of the Aviva for Leinster. Um, it's a fair old trek for Racing as well to get to Bordeaux. I'll tell um, you what is a fair old trek is the distance from the dressing rooms to the pitch. Have you ever played in Bordeaux? No. 
Oh my God! It must be. It feels like a scene in in Goodfellas where they walk down into the, you know oh, okay. to, to get to their table. Honestly, it, it takes about two and a half minutes to walk down. Right. To, so what it, it might seem insignificant actually when you run off the pitch at half time. You need to go and visit the stadium the day you, before and just get. No, but also yeah, but also you you so you oh, right, less, okay. less time less, time less break to time to, to get in there. So yeah, wow. um, it's yeah it's. it's it's difficult to know exactly where this game will be won and lost. There's been very little between the two teams in the in the in in the games this season. It was a horrible day in, night down in in Thoman Park where a Connor Murray try was the difference uh, on a block down kick, um, and then uh, Machno you know kicked a, a goal with two or three minutes to go to um, to reclaim. Um, the lead in, in, in the game in Paris. So these two teams know each other. They've played each other a lot. Obviously, the, the tragic news yeah. of Anthony Foley's passing a couple of years ago um, happened in, in the team hotel in advance of playing yeah, Racing. Uh, um, so th these two teams are, are well aware of what styles one another play. You, you mentioned earlier that Racing do have a big pack, but it, the question is, is Dan Carter 100% fit? He... Um, he it was in Ireland nursing uh, an injury um, right after Christmas, um, intensive treatment. I, I'm not sure if he's a hundred percent right, um, but if if he is and when and when he's humming, I think he's a completely different prospect than still at 36 years of age than Pat Lambie. And from a Munster perspective, how important is it to stop Nakarawa and his offloading game? Yeah, well, I think you look at that combination. I know Nakawara's played a bit of eight as well for them. He's um, he's got that versatility, but the grunt of Donica Ryan playing against his old team in yeah. the second row, along with that ball playing capabilities of Nakarawa, um, is it's a lovely complement of of one another. And yeah, he, he, you look at offloaders in the competition, and he is light years ahead of everyone else. You know, he can he can get you. Ordinarily, you might see you know two or three offloads in a game is impressive. He can have eight and nine. Well, I commentated on uh, Leicester against uh, Racing at Racing earlier in the season, and the Leicester players knew it was coming. I mean, it, it was like you know when you see a like 14 year old playing with 8 year olds yeah, yeah. he's literally just had the ball above his head and no one could reach it and he was just biding his time drawing in four defenders and offloading so very very exciting prospect uh, and you can see him live on Sunday from 2.30 on BT Sport 3 uh, just looking tactically at the Leinster Scarlets game that's Saturday's game uh, only uh, unbeaten side left in the competition are Leinster are they particularly with it being at the Aviva too strong for Scarlets. Um, on the on the basis of the Saracens' performance, if they play like that again, I think Scarlets will have to have a, a, a performance that we we haven't maybe seen from them yet. Such was the um, the ascendancy of Leinster, you know, in attack and and then defence against the two-time champions. Um, one thing about Scarlets is that they had they did come to to Dublin last year and beat Leinster in the RDS right. in the in the Pro 12 final as it was or semi final as it was. Then the following week they came over and beat Munster, thumped Munster in the final in the Aviva. So they certainly will come to Dublin with huge confidence. Um, if you look where they started at the beginning of the year, they struggled against Treviso and um, losing and, to Bath. Yeah, losing to Bath. They've done amazingly well, but I think what that some of those games showed us in their pool stages were if they're still in contention with 60 minutes to go, all the pressure then goes back on Leinster because they can score at 
at will. They could score two tries that's, very, very quickly. So you're never, with... unless you actually put them to bed and and kill them off, you're never out of the woods with with the scarlet. Yeah, you you want to be you want to be eight points ahead going yeah. into that last yeah. you know five or six minutes because they are they're they're capable of 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 two very quick uh, scores. You've, we've seen you know. A huge number of them have now managed to force their way into the, into the Welsh team on, off the back of their form. I think you're looking at individuals in in terrific form, in the likes of Ken Owens, yeah. uh, Ty Byrne, who's going to Munster um, next season, it will be a huge loss for them. But has been, without a shadow of a doubt, one of the best players in Europe this season. Um, and then I, I just like the balance of that back row. You've got Sean Barkley playing at eight as well, who's pain in the backside at rook time, but so savvy, you know, good link player as well. And then the explosiveness of someone like James Davis as well, with Shingler on the blind side. That is just an yeah. absolutely mouth-watering um, um, back row to play against, you know, no poor back row from, from Leinster's perspective, yeah. but yeah, I don't know if they're quite at that calibre. Right. Well, it's going to be fascinating to find out what a brilliant weekend of European rugby we've got ahead. That's all we've got time for this week. We'll be back next week through the airwaves, delivering you all the week's roundups, news and previews. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review if you've enjoyed the show. Thanks for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter pretty litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness it's the world's smartest kitty litter Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.